Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Dennis, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, which is in collaboration with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And the title of the workshop is The Benefits of Clinical Trials for Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, a grant from Genentech, and an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And we really want to thank them all for their support of today's program, and particularly to the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, who's been really supporting a number of these programs. Um, and you probably all noticed this, and there's still more to come. So um, uh, this is an amazing uh, program. Um, I do want to acknowledge that we have on the call today over 275 participants who come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban countries, uh, uh, counties in the United States. But we also have a number of international country, uh, countries on the call today. And I'm going to just name them, Argentina, Bangladesh, Canada, Colombia, East Africa, Denmark, India, Ireland, Iraq, Nigeria, Portugal, South Africa, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. So this is a global call, and we're delighted to have so many of you on the call today, really. Um, it's really rather a credit to each of you that you are information seekers. And now um, it is my great pleasure now to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Kamal Abu Hussein. Dr. Hussein is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School, Rowan University, Adjunct Assistant Professor, MD Anderson Cancer Center, Department of, Medical, of Breast Medical Oncology. And Dr. Hussein will be addressing the treatment of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, Omicron, and seasonal flu. Why clinical trials are important as a treatment option for triple negative breast cancer. What happens in a clinical trial, stages of clinical trials, new research in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, and investigational new drugs in clinical trials. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hussein. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. Uh, it's uh, really such a pleasure to address such an important um, topic. Uh, so triple negative breast cancer, this is a cancer that is um, uh, accounting for about 10 to 20 percent of all cases of breast cancer in the world. Um, of course, every cancer diagnosis is unique, but in general, the triple negative breast cancer is a more aggressive type of tumor that has a faster growth rate, a higher risk of uh, metastasis and recurrence risk overall. And when we meet a patient first time in the clinic for a new diagnosis of breast cancer in general, usually we draw the breast cancer cell, and we would classically look for three different markers on the surface of the cell. Two of them are the female hormones, uh, which are the estrogen and the progesterone. And the third one is a protein called the HER2 protein. So the hormone receptor positive breast cancer is the one that is positive for either estrogen or progesterone or both. And uh, HER2 positive cancer is the one that is positive for the expression of this protein, the HER2. And 
um, rather than being a cancer that is defined by what it is, the triple negative breast cancer, in contrast, is really defined by what it's not. So it does not express any of the three markers. Uh, historically, chemotherapy was the only option available for treatment of triple negative breast cancer, whether it's an early stage or metastatic disease. And even though there has been a lot of ongoing clinical trials testing the utility of using immunotherapy with other therapeutics for multiple subtypes of breast cancer, but the only subtype that has an FDA approval for the use of immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy is the triple negative breast cancer. And that applies to, again, the early stage disease and the metastatic or stage four triple negative breast cancer. So um, the important clinical trial that addressed the benefit of immunotherapy in the metastatic uh, triple negative breast cancer was called the Keynote 355 trial. It's a trial where they compared using chemotherapy, which is the standard of care at the time, or chemotherapy plus an immunotherapy agent called temporalizumab or Keytruda. Um, they chose very commonly used types of chemotherapy like Taxol or Abraxane or a combination of gemcitabine and carboplatin. And again, those are standard um, use type chemotherapies in clinic. And they compared them to the same exact chemotherapy backbones with the addition of immunotherapy. They showed that the addition of immunotherapy did improve uh, the length of time that the patients continue to live without their cancer spreading, growing, or getting worse. And it did improve the overall survival of patients compared to chemotherapy alone. So that has become the standard of care for patients that exhibit this marker of sensitivity to immunotherapy called the pdl one marker. Um, there's also another advance in the world of triple negative breast cancer, uh, especially in the metastatic setting, which is a drug called sacituzumab cobitican. Now, in the market, this is known as Trudelvy, or T-R-O-D-E-L-V-Y. I know some of our patients like to know the spelling of the new medications. And this belongs to the category of drugs called antibody drug conjugate. And to imagine how those things are being designed, basically, this is a, um, a drug that is being designed after they identify a certain marker on the surface of the cancer cell and they develop an antibody against that marker. And then they link it to a molecule of chemotherapy. So it will go and find where that marker is present. It'll bind to it, and this whole complex is being taken inside the cell. And then the chemotherapy is released from inside the cell, leading to killing it from within. And again, the whole idea is minimize toxicity, so we're only targeting the cancer cells, and hopefully sparing the majority of the normal and healthy cells. Um, last year, we did see the results of a very promising clinical trial, which was a phase one clinical trial called the Tropion Pantumor 01 study. Um, in this trial, they did look at treating patients who were heavily pretreated previously with multiple lines of therapy. And it did include multiple different types of cancers, but the triple negative breast cancer patients were included in this trial. 
and they explored the use of another antibody drug conjugate called DATO-DXD. And it did show some promising results and some durability in efficacy. In about a third of the patients, did have a nice response to that treatment. Even though some of the patients were previously treated by the satituzumab govitikan, which is the other antibody drug conjugate, it seemed to be overall well-tolerated with some low-grade nausea and inflammation of the inner lining of the mouth, or something called stomatitis, were the most observed toxicity signs. Now, shifting gears to the early-stage breast cancer in the triple-negative setting, um, the other clinical trial that looked at using immunotherapy in this category of patients is Keynote 522 trial. And again, they did, um, they did look at those patients who had triple-negative disease, and it was regardless of whether they expressed this marker, the pdl one marker, or not. Um, and those patients had either a cancer that is bigger than 2 centimeters or a cancer between 1 to 2 centimeters with a positive lymph node. And then they treated patients with the regular line of treatment at that time, which is a chemotherapy backbone, or chemotherapy in addition to the same agent of um, immunotherapy called Keytruda again. Um, and everybody proceeded with surgery after they finished their systemic therapy. And the main endpoint was trying to assess in this clinical trial is how many patients were able to achieve pathologic complete response. Uh, the meaning of that is the absence of any invasive cancer cells in the breast or the lymph nodes. And they did show a significant improvement in achieving that endpoint, and it became the new standard of care. In addition to all of that, of course, it's important to mention the role of oral group of medications called the PARP inhibitors, which provide a great benefit for our patients who have a germline BRCA mutation. Um, both in the advanced and the early-stage breast cancer. And currently, we have two drugs that are FDA-approved for the use of the BRCA-mutated germline patients in breast cancer, uh, including Olaparib and Talazoparib. Um, now, switching gears here and talking about clinical trials. So the clinical trials are um, the heart of clinical research, really, and they look at new ways to prevent or detect um, a certain disease, or mainly here, uh, for the sake of our discussion, treatment of a certain disease. And the goal of a clinical trial is to determine if these treatments or preventions or behavioral approaches are safe and effective. So people take part in a clinical trial for a lot of reasons. Some people could even be healthy volunteers. So they take part to help others and to contribute moving science forward. But also, the majority of our patients on clinical trials are patients with an existing illness or a disease, and they take part in a clinical trial to receive the newest and the latest treatment that is still in development. Um, so overall, we are hoping to offer hope for many people and um, give the patients who contribute a chance to move this forward and improve the standard of care. Any idea of a clinical trial always starts in a lab. And after researchers test this new treatment or procedures in the lab and in animals, the most promising treatments are moved into clinical trials. As new treatments move through a series of steps called the phases 
more information is gained about the treatment, its risks and effectiveness, and so forth. So that takes us to the different phases of clinical trials. So they are conducted in a series of steps called phases, and I'm going to quickly go over the four different phases of clinical trials. So phase one clinical trial is when researchers test a drug or treatment in a small group of patients, usually less than 100 patients, for the first time. And the purpose of the study um, is to study this drug or treatment is to learn about the safety and identify the side effects. Moving on to phase two, and this is when the new drug or treatment is given to a larger group of patients, so a couple of hundred patients to determine its effectiveness and to further explore safety. Phase three clinical trial is when this new drug or treatment moves on to a larger group of patients, so we're talking thousands of patients, to confirm its effectiveness, monitor side effects, and compare it with the standard uh, or similar treatment. And at, at that point, they start collecting information that will allow the new drug or treatment to be used safely. And the last phase, which is phase four, is after the drug is approved by the FDA and made available to the public, the researchers track its safety in the general population, seeking more information about a drug or treatment's benefits and the optimal use and so forth. So the researchers usually follow the clinical trial guidelines when deciding who to participate and who not to participate, and they use guidelines called inclusion and exclusion criteria. Um, so those are self-explanatory, so the factors that allow a patient to meet criteria to be involved in a clinical trial are called inclusion criteria, and those that disqualify the patient from participating in the trial are called the exclusion criteria. And those criteria would include the age, the gender of the patient, the type and the stage of the disease, what treatments have they received in the past, what medical conditions do they have, and so forth. And um, after a clinical trial is completed, the researchers carefully examine the information collected during the study before making decisions about the meaning of the findings and about the need for further testing. So first, they start with the early phase, which normally is referring to phase one or phase two trials, and the researchers at that point decide whether to move on to the next phase or to stop testing because the drug is unsafe or not. Um, they also talk about the effectiveness, whether it's effective or not. When they move on to phase number three, and the phase number three is completed, the researchers examine the information and they decide whether the results have medical importance or they don't. And the results of the clinical trial are often published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. And the peer review is basically a process by which experts review the report before it's published to ensure that the analysis and the conclusions are sound. Um, if the results are particularly important, they may be featured in the news and discussed at scientific meetings and by the patient advocacy groups before or after they are published in a scientific journal. And once a new approach has been proven safe and effective in a clinical trial, it may become the new standard of medical practice. So through the excellent work of research, really, the triple negative breast cancer has been subdivided into six um, distinct subgroups. We refer them as the intrinsic or the molecular subgroups. And this is a uh, division that is based on the genes that the cancer cells express, which controls 
their overall behavior. And I'm just going to iterate the names of the different subgroups. They are basal-like one, basal-like two, mesenchymal, mesenchymal stem-like, and immunomodulatory, and the last one is luminal androgen receptor, or LAR. So hopefully, after listening to this, you understand that through the excellent research work that was done and continues to be done that we get better over time in treating different types of diseases, including cancer and including triple negative breast cancer. And this is all the, the more reason for all of our lovely listeners to consider enrolling in clinical trials whenever it's felt like it's a good choice for you. And I'm going to move this back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hussein. That was just a wonderful presentation and really set the stage for today's program, um, identifying so many issues around clinical trials that are so important to the triple negative breast cancer community. So I want to thank you so much for that really uh, stellar um, presentation. And uh, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Marcelo Mezzo. And Dr. Mezzo is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology, Oncology, Breast Medical Oncology, UT Health San Antonio Mays Cancer Center. And Dr. Mesa will be addressing the meaning of informed consent, benefits and risks of participating in clinical trials, how and where, how and where clinical trials are conducted, how to participate in clinical trials, and specific questions to ask your healthcare team about clinical trials. It's really my great, great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mesa. Dr. Mesner, thank you so much for the invitation, and thank you for all of us uh, that are, you know, connected here today to talk about this a very important topic of clinical trials in triple negative breast cancer. So I will kick off by uh, talking about the meaning of informed consent. So most of you during your lives had had, you know, many medical procedures in which your doctor sits down with you and discuss the potential risk and benefit of a specific treatment. Same applies when we are doing research. So when a new medical product or a new medical um, you know, procedure or a new medication is being developed, and we don't yet understand how good these medications work, uh, that's when the informed consent for a clinical trial that has certain specifics that I would like to discuss all of you, you know, work. So what is involved in, into an informed consent for a clinical trial. So basically, that consent will explain the purpose of the research that is being done, how long it's expected to take. You know, it will also explain the rationale behind the uh, success or what has been known about the medication or procedures that is under investigation. It should explain that your participation is completely voluntary it will explain the procedures that you're gonna go through if you decided to participate into the clinical trial. It will explain potential benefits, risks. It should disclose also the procedures that you're gonna endure. For example, if it's a medication, if this is given into an IV or an injection, it will also discuss the uh, blood work that you may have to do and sometimes also procedures such as biopsies it will also disclose what are your alternatives, meaning what happens if I decide not to participate in this clinical trial. It should also explain how your personal information 
will be kept private. And this is very important if we pay close attention to these. Uh, some clinical trials might involve a form of compensation that is monetary or with, for example, gift cards and things like that. This should be disclosed in the informed consent. And it will also um, disclose what are your rights as a clinical trial participant and uh, contact people to, I mean, contact numbers for, uh, for people that you can reach out to in case that you have any questions or you have any problems during the clinical trial uh, participation. It's very important to understand that you should be given sufficient time to read through the entire informed consent, and all your questions have to be answered in order to, you know, participate in a potential clinical trial. Now, what are really the benefits uh, about participating in a clinical trial? As a medical oncologist, I will tell you that the main, uh, you know, intention behind offering a patient in a clinical trial is to help them is to make sure that we give what we think is best for them. Sometimes clinical trials will let us access to certain medications that are not yet FDA approved and that we think based on prior research, as it was explained a moment ago, that they are gonna be good for your case. I think another benefit that is important to mention is that you are gonna be accessing, you know, a kind of a bigger team of people caring for you. Clinical trials have a lot of regulations, and there is a specific, you know, set of people that is dedicated to working on the different specific clinical trials. And those people will be there also to help you. So I think it's a very nice thing that we get, you know, more nurses, more coordinators that are going to help you along the way and that are going to be there for you, okay? And I tell this to my patients all the time. The only reason why we are now having more success in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer like we do today is because someone five years ago, 10 years ago, decided to do a voluntary participation in a clinical trial. Uh, to me, as an oncologist, you know, I'm amazed to see how much progress uh, we have made. And I want to, uh, I mean, I want to motivate everybody to know that when you are participating in a clinical trial, of course, we want to help you as our patient, but know that you're going to be helping a lot of people along the way that it's probably going to be on, in the same situation, in, you know, in the future. And that's, you know, that's a very big motivation, at least for me. Just like there's benefits, uh, there could be some risks that need to be discussed with patients um, when they decide to participate in a clinical trial. It is important to understand that since these are medications that are under investigation, they might not help your particular case. And that's very important to understand. You can also be exposed to a risk that are not known yet. For example, side effects that were not described with a specific medication in the past, okay? And uh, it's also important to know that you might be uh, entering into a type of care that is uh, not what we know as standard of care, and that's a risk, obviously, that you, that you take. Uh, and uh, the other uh, risk that I should mention is uh, sometimes breaching privacy, although I will add that clinical trials are strictly regulated, and nowadays we are very protective of your uh, private information. So how and where are clinical trials conducted? So it's usually a mix. So most of the time, 
we conducted clinical trials in the different, you know, health institutions such as a cancer center. So usually what it happens is that your medical oncologist will evaluate you and will determine if you're a good candidate for a specific clinical trial. They'll bring the information known as informed consent to you, and they will describe the procedures uh, that are set to happen under that clinical trial. And usually there is a combination of certain procedures that we do in the cancer center itself, in the clinic, and there are some medications that are going to be given in the infusion room, for example. And some of the clinical trials will also require uh, certain procedures to be done in the hospital setting. So it's, and I will add as well that some of the procedures will take place at home, as you will expect to get some phone calls from the research team to assess how are you doing, if you're having any side effects. So um, it kind of takes place also in the privacy uh, of your home. How do you participate in a clinical trial? And basically, this uh, goes into talking to your physician. It's important to understand exactly what is the disease stage that you're currently dealing with and to discuss, you know, what are the possibilities for clinical trial participation that are appropriate for you. Um, most of the institutions are very open to, you know, to have people participating in clinical trials. So if, for example, the institution that you're receiving care is not offering a specific clinical trial, they can also connect you with other institutions in your same, same geographical area that, you know, uh, could offer participation to you. It's very important to know what are the specific questions that you need to ask your physician uh, before you participate into a clinical trial. So we have to understand exactly what is the disease state. You know, what is the state of my cancer? Is it under control? Is it not controlled? So it's very important to have that insight of what is the, you know, individual situation that you're, that you're on. It's also important to ask your physician about what is the standard of care for the treatment of the cancer in the state, in the state that you are on. And they should be able to uh, explain to you in normal circumstances what will be done and also explain the alternative of the clinical trial. I think it's important to ask your doctor, why do you think, I mean, ask your doctor, why do you think this clinical trial is good for me? And hear what are their thoughts. Uh, having that kind of open line of communication and trying to understand a little bit why your physician is thinking that this is a good option for you is of, of very big importance. Um, you need to ask also what happens if you decide not to participate, you know. Know that as a participant you have the freedom to say yes or no, uh, but obviously sometimes um, not being able to access a specific clinical trial will affect your care. And uh, lastly, talk to your doctor if you're not comfortable, if you're unsure, if you don't understand the procedures very well. You know, it's very important to keep that line of communication open. And uh, Dr. Messner, I, you know, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions that uh, our participants may have. Thank you all very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mesa. That was just a wonderful presentation and really um, going through all the more details of the clinical trial participation and um, you know, the, the benefits, risks of participation, and all the specific questions to ask the healthcare team. So thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you so much. 
um, and just a stellar presentation. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinneman, and Ms. Dinneman is a lawyer, and she is a co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and she, as you will hear her speak, is quite passionate about this, all the programs that, sh that she has developed for the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Community. Um, and she'll be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs, and we'll go over the helpline and website. Um, it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my very esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. Thank you also to my fellow speakers for the excellent presentations to our sponsors, and of course, to all of you listening today. Today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community, from patients to survivors to caregivers and loved ones. And today, I'd like to highlight a few of our offerings. First, we have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular materials were developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. Like all of our educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to women living with metastatic TNBC, uh, to women with BRCA mutations, um, and those with early stage diagnosis, and African-American women, basically to the various um, segments within our TNBC community. We work really hard to make sure that every member of our community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials. So I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services. And we're told that they are much easier to navigate than other portals. Uh, one is specific to clinical trials for metastatic disease. Our website also has a constantly updated TNBC news section and a favorite of our community, our online discussion forums. The forums, as well as our two private TNBC Foundation Facebook groups, allow you to easily connect with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums and private Facebook groups to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and so much more. But most importantly, our online forums and groups offer consistent support. You can even join the discussion forums anonymously if you like. These online resources are here to help you and to remind you that you are not alone. While we normally make every effort to meet with you in person, the past couple of years have forced us to make some adjustments for everyone's safety. Uh, but these challenges have also given way to some really amazing new virtual programs. We have three regularly scheduled online Zoom meetups for our TNBC community, Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. These online support groups have allowed us to connect the community throughout the pandemic, and even now that um, things are going back to normal, these Zoom meetups continue to offer incredible support to the many women who join us monthly to connect, to share experiences, and to build friendships. Um, you can sign up for our next meetups at tnbcfoundation.org. The information is right on our homepage with the next Metastatic Monday meetup taking place on November 7th. Um, the next Thriver Thursday, scheduled for November 17th, and our next Tuesday with TNBC Friends taking place on December 6th. I hope to see you at one of these meetups. 
We're also planning a variety of programs surrounding the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium in December. For those of you who won't be able to attend the symposium in person, we'll be taking you along with us virtually so that you can learn about new and emerging TNBC research. It's going to be a great experience, and I hope you'll be there to join us online. Um, if you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all of our other upcoming programs. In the meantime, we look forward to connecting with you on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. So once again, thank you for joining us, and now I'll turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Dinnerman. That was really um, excellent, outstanding, and uh, such a wonderful resource. So I know many of you are already connected to the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, but if you're not, this is a, a really just a, such a wonderful resource for all of you. So please do um, take advantage of this. And our next speaker is Ms. Sam Fortune. And Ms. Fortune is an oncology social worker, and she's our Women's Cancer Program Coordinator at Cancer Care. And she'll be discussing accessing resources for clinical trials and triple negative breast cancer foundation's free hope helpline and services. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Fortune. Thank you, Dr. Messner. As mentioned, my name is Sam Fortune, and I'm the Women's Cancer Program Coordinator as well as an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. My role includes working with both women diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and their families, as well as developing programs and initiatives for our women's cancer department. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those diagnosed with TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support, as well as information on clinical trials. There are many aspects of a breast cancer diagnosis that can be addressed through psychosocial supportive services, including making informed decisions, quality of life concerns, or communication with your treatment team. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has also generously funded um, the TNBC helpline, which provides caller with access to comprehensive services. Some of the services we provide include resource navigation services, counseling, education workshops like this one, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the TNBC helpline, individuals are connected to an oncology social worker who are aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TNBC. Individuals diagnosed with TNBC may choose to supplement their um, existing social networks with either support group or counseling services. Um, joining a support group in particular can offer the chance for TNBC patients to speak with one another, gather information, and provide support. Cancer Care offers TNBC Pacific National online support groups that are moderated by oncology social workers. Such online support group aims to reduce feelings of loneliness or anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increase feelings of empowerment, and provide practical information about treatment and resources. You can register for an online support group through cancercare.org by selecting our services and then support groups. Individuals also may experience practical and financial concerns throughout their treatment. Please note that if you're encountering such financial hardships, we have organizations that may be helpful to you. Um, we also have a resource navigation program that offers short-term strength-based um, approach service to patients and caregivers affected by cancer. Um, a trained specialist will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. 
Um, as we also have heard today, clinical trials can test the benefits of new treatments for someone diagnosed with TMBC. Clinical trials are tested in phases, with each phase having a different and specific purpose, including um, someone's safety, how well a treatment may work for a certain type of cancer, and how to compare the new treatment to establish or prove treatment. Clinical trials may provide an opportunity opportunity for patients to access the latest cancer care and help identify new therapies for people diagnosed with cancer. Also, as Ms. Dinnerman just mentioned, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation offers a clinical trial matching service that makes your search for these trials faster and easier. Callers um, who are trained with clinical, we have like a, sorry, let me back to it. We have like a clinical trial navigator and you can reach them out at 855-731- 6036, or you can visit um, the TMBC website and click the clinical trial section under the research tab to be connected to, um, to Navigator or to learn more about the clinical trials. If you're interested in learning more about the services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation or Cancer Care offers, I encourage you to call the TMBC helpline at 877-880-8622. Our oncology social workers can share additional information about our services and can also help you explore ways to connect to others, including our support groups, our financial assistance resources, and our um, the clinical trial matching services. It has been such a pleasure speaking on this workshop. Thank you for your attention, and I'll turn the program now back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, um, Samantha. That was an misfortune. That was an excellent, really outstanding presentation. Taylor with lots of resources, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask Dennis to explain to the participants how to queue up for questions, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. At this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. So we have a question, um, uh, and this one would be for Dr. Um, Hussein, since Alota is one of the few treatments which penetrates the brain barrier, why isn't it prescribed for all triple, triple negative patients after chemotherapy? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so Zolota is actually one of the medications that um, are typically thought of as a great option for patients that receive uh, chemotherapy in the early stage setting for triple negative and do not fully clear the cancer from the breast and the lymph nodes. So the patients that end up with something called residual disease. Uh, we've seen that the use of the LODA for close to six months post-operatively in those patients does have an improvement in uh, decreasing the chances of recurrence in the future and does have an improvement in the overall survival of patients. In the metastatic or the uh, advanced setting for triple negative breast cancer, Zoloda is really very commonly used. Uh, usually there are multiple different options of systemic cytotoxic chemotherapy uh, agents that could be used as a single agent or in combination with each other. And Zoloda is one of the uh, favored drugs both for patients and doctors because it is an oral chemotherapy. It's relatively very well tolerated um, by the majority of patients. Um, however, as I mentioned, in the early stage setting, it is only approved for that indication, which is if the response after the chemotherapy before surgery is not 
um, complete. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and I have another question for Dr. Mezo. Um, uh, can you talk about Lynn Parza, L-Y-N-P-A-R-Z-A, as a treatment for triple negative breast cancer? Thank you, Dr. Mensner. Uh, so Lynn Parza is a medication that belongs to the category of HARP inhibitors, which is uh, the type of medication that tends to work uh, better in patients that have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, and it's approved in the metastatic setting. Uh, their PARP inhibitors are also gaining a little bit of, I shouldn't say a little, a lot of force in the adjuvant setting, meaning, as, um, as it was discussed a moment ago, after patients have their initial chemotherapy and then surgery, if we see evidence of residual disease uh, after we do the chemotherapy, PARP inhibitors have been actually used in order to decrease our recurrence uh, of meaning cancer coming back. I should add also that it's important to remind uh, your doctor that every patient with metastatic breast cancer is eligible to genetic testing, especially if you have triple negative breast cancer, because this might capture patients that could use medications such as Lymphorza, you know, as an option for their treatment as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. A question for Dr. Hussein. Um, would you please repeat the two requirements for early stage TNBC to be using conventional chemo plus Keytruda? Um, two must be under two centimeters. If you could uh, just say a bit more, you already discussed that, but the questions. Absolutely. So, uh, really, they have approved this drug based on the results of the Keynote 522 clinical trial. And the patients that were in, included in that trial were patients that had a um, stage 2 or stage 3 disease or patients, um, so basically size-wise, I'll make it easier. It is a patient that has more than or equal to 2 centimeters of triple negative breast cancer or patients that has between a centimeter to 2 centimeters with a positive lymph node. So in other words, if a patient has a small cancer that is less than two centimeters and a negative lymph node, they would not be eligible for this combination. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and a question is for um, Ms. Fortune. Um, is there a forum or support group for those diagnosed early with triple negative breast cancer who are nearly diagnosed at stage one had lumpectomy and radiation? Got it. Yeah. So we, how the group is, it's basically, it's a general group for triple negative breast cancer. Um, women from different stages are on it, but I find those groups have been supported even if someone is newly diagnosed or like has an earlier stage and someone's in a later stage. Both women are able to support each other, especially someone who's in advanced stage. They give their insight and in how they cope. And a lot of people in the earlier stages find that helpful. So we do have that at least. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's a wonderful resource. Um, and how would you participate in that, or how would someone Oh, yes. That? Sure. Um, so the best way to access it is to go to our website at cancercare.org, and then there's a tab for our services, and then you do online support group, and then you pick the um, 
appropriate support group for that. But if you have any questions, as I mentioned earlier, you can call the um, TMBC helpline as well. Excellent. And Ashley, I just thought everyone know that um, at the, well, tomorrow you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation of the program, but also that will also, so we like the evaluation, that we'd like you to fill that out. But we also, in that evaluation, will be all the resources we mentioned today. So we will, again, give you the phone numbers, websites, anything we gave out today, and even then some, we will be included there. So look out for the resources as well. Um, so, and um, this question for Dr. Hussein. If you live in another country, can you participate in clinical trials taking place outside your city and country, or are you limited to what you have access to in your country? So it will be the latter. So unfortunately, um, clinical trials, so when we are designing a clinical trial or making a clinical trial available to a patient at a certain hospital, there are very strict guidelines that are mainly in place to ensure the safety of this practice and ensure that we are not exposing our patients to uncalculated harm. And having said that, it is really um, very tight regulations and um, you have to be present at a center that has access to a certain clinical trial. As an example, two different hospitals, they might be under the same network or the same uh, umbrella of, uh, of healthcare, but they are in two different cities or in two different locations in the same city. Uh, one location might provide the clinical trial and the other one, the patients will have to go to the other location to get um, enrolled in that clinical trial. So unfortunately, patients will be restricted to where they live or where they get their care at. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and um, a question uh, for Dr. Mazo, and this is an important one because I know people always worry about this. Are placebos used in triple negative breast cancer clinical trials? And if you could explain what a placebo is and also in terms of um, the concept of having active disease. So it will depend on the um, phase of the clinical trial that placebo has a role. Placebos are usually um, molecules that have no active, uh, you know, action in the body like a medication would. But in a patient that is uh, basically uh, with a diagnosis of uh, breast cancer that is not in a phase one uh, clinical trial protocol, we don't use placebo. They'll get either standard of care or an active medication. So that's a really important point um, uh, to understand, and it's an important question to ask your doctor when you're thinking about a clinical trial, because if there is, as I think as Dr. Mazo has said, if there's a standard of care available, then the new treatment is, if I'm, if I'm correct on this, uh, Dr. Mazo, please correct me, then standard of care is used um, for one arm and the other arm would be getting the newer treatment. Is that correct? You are correct, uh, Dr. Messner, and, uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, clinical trials are under strict ethical guidelines. So it's not, uh, you know, under the ethics law, you know, we, we treat our patients either with a molecule that we know it's active or the standard of care. Excellent. So I guess to answer that, pay, uh, that person's questions, no. It went in, in an advanced clinical setting uh, with a patient with an active disease, a placebo won't have a role. Um, a question um, 
actually for um, Dr. Um, Hussein. I was diagnosed with TNBC stage 3A before immunotherapy was standard of care. Was treated and currently no evidence of disease. Um, and the participant who's asking the question has several pre-existing autoimmune diseases. Um, so, and the question is, if my triple negative breast cancer recurs, am I eligible to receive immunotherapy in spite of my autoimmune disorders? If you could address this in a general way, because it is such an individual question, but perhaps um, you might, Correct. might be able to help others on the call as well. Absolutely. So, uh, so my understanding is uh, this patient was uh, previously diagnosed with uh, locally advanced breast cancer. So she had uh, stage 3A triple negative breast cancer, and uh, she got treated without immunotherapy. Uh, is that correct? Yes, and has no evidence okay. of disease at this point. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so whenever a patient has early stage breast cancer and they are treated and then the disease comes back, we always want to biopsy this area where the disease has recurred to prove that it is indeed cancer and that it's indeed breast cancer and triple negative breast cancer. So we need to confirm all of that. Um, once that is confirmed, um, the patient would be eligible for testing for this marker we talked about, the PDL1 marker, which is a marker that would pretend that this cancer is uh, sensitive to immunotherapy or not. And if it is positive, it could be used in combination with chemotherapy. However, our patient here is bringing a very important question, which is if she has an autoimmune disorder, would that disqualify her from getting immunotherapy or not? And the answer is not simple, unfortunately. Um, so if there is an active immuno, um, uh, autoimmune uh, disorder, usually that is a disqualifying measure for the sake of safety. And if there is a, an autoimmune disorder that is under very good control and the patient is not on high doses of steroids, sometimes we would treat them with an immunotherapy-based uh, therapy, and that should be uh, safe enough with very close monitoring. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. These are wonderful questions. I have to say our, our participants today are really asking such really great questions. I, um, um, uh, so and this one, again, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Mays if you could address this. Are treatment guidelines for TNBC the same across Canada or can treatment vary in different provinces? The participant is asking if the guidelines are the same across the different uh, regions of Canada. Guidelines, yeah, the same across Canada, or can treatment vary in different provinces? All these different provinces. Well, they they should not, as uh, as Dr. Hussein mentioned. So um, nowadays, we're treating most of our early stage triple negative breast cancer with this cocktail that was described in the Kino five to two clinical trial. So they should not. However, I will say that depending on your medical comorbidities, your physician may decide, obviously, after discussing with you, to change, you know, the therapy or to make certain modifications to the medications based on your medical conditions. But uh, it's the guidelines are the guidelines, and uh, they should not be different. Uh, I mean, in different regions of different countries. Um, I must say also that there could be some limitations of drug availability in different regions of the world. 
but mostly in the U.S. and Canada, we should have access to all these medications. Excellent. Thank you. And I just want to mention to everyone that we have more programs coming up. On November 16th, we have a triple negative breast cancer program uh, for caregiving. And on December 20th, we have one on triple ne negative breast cancer and the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium, so highlights from that on triple negative breast cancer. So stay tuned. You'll be getting information about that. And I'm going to ask each of our speakers just to give, provide a takeaway from today's program. Is this some, um, what you'd like people to take away from today's program? So I'm going to start with Dr. Hussein. Um, I think the most important thing that I hope everybody has gained from this conversation is that we were at a time just a few years ago where chemotherapy was our only option for this disease. And right now, um, I see a lot of hope with introduction of multiple different molecules, whether they're immunotherapy, whether they're the antibody drug conjugates or the oral PARP inhibitors, among others. And the research um, potential is Im improving. Every conference that we go to, we hear about new molecules and new results. So I think there is a lot of hope. Uh, but um, there is a part for each patient to play. So there's a part for the medical community to provide patients with access to clinical trials and provide the best care they can. But I think patients need to play an active role in being involved in patient advocacy and being aware of what's available and also keeping an open mind to enrolling in uh, opportunities like clinical trials. Excellent. Thank you. And, and Dr. Mesa, if you want to comment as well, just a takeaway that you'd like people to have from this call today. Thank you, Dr. Messer. And I echo the enthusiasm that Dr. Hussein is sharing. We are seeing newer, smarter drugs that help our patients. I see my patients living longer. I see my patients doing well. But just like as he mentioned, we all have a part in this. I encourage you to have an open communication with your physicians. I encourage you to, you know, inquire about clinical trials. It could be a great option for you. And like I mentioned when I was uh, speaking a moment ago, it could be a great option for someone that is behind you. So we are in all of this together and talk to your doctors. There's a lot of opportunity and lots of uh, new drugs in the pipelines that are gonna be helping a lot of patients. Excellent, and Ms. Fortune? Um, yeah, I want to echo on both what you guys said. Like, it is very important for more people to get involved in clinical trials, because especially, I would say, with, within all demographics, because the more each demographic is represented, the more knowledge everyone is going to have on treating different types of cancer. And I also want to stress, like, you don't have to do this alone. There's a lot of emotional support, whether it be support groups, whether it be meetups, whether it be just even getting general education. There's a lot of supportive services. So don't be afraid to ask for help as well while you're going through this um, journey. So important. I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been exceptional. I also want to thank our participants who really asked such great questions today. You've been a remarkable group of participants, I must say. And I do want to comment about the questions, because we didn't get to everyone's question, because, of course, we have more questions in queue than we could possibly take. So I do want to comment about that. For those of you who either asked a question or have a question that you were in queue to ask or have a question that you'd like to ask, and I was just thinking about what that question might be, for all of you, please go back to your treating health care team and ask the question. 
but you'll be asking the question because in different way because you have been on this program today, you've learned something, and you may slightly change the way you ask the question, or you may be able to understand the answer you get to the question in a slightly different way because you've learned something today. Um, but either way, keep asking your questions over and over again until those questions get answered. It is okay to ask the same question on multiple occasions in different ways as you learn different things. Also, I would not want any one of you to leave the program today feeling that you're alone. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support. A triple negative breast cancer um, is, a, is a huge community of support. And we want you to take advantage of all the services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care and to utilize those services. And I know during these times many people do feel alone. They have been feeling alone uh, during the pandemic. Things have eased up a bit, but still there is some concern out there. And so please do work closely with your healthcare teams and also um, utilize all of the kinds of virtual things that exist that could give you um, access to information and a sense of community. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.